Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode 33. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach, and today we're going to convert you to communism. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> oh, God. No, actually, um, so... Steve is, I'm not. Yeah, Matt. <laughs> you know, as, as much fun as it would actually be to do like a political podcast, I, I can tell you that luckily this episode has nothing to do with politics, economics, or history. Although I would like to do that at some point. The only problem is I'm worried that if we did, we would immediately lose like more than half of our listeners. Yeah, we probably will say some things in this episode that will get us in trouble regardless. So yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. So um, today we're going to be talking about idea communism versus, I guess we can call it idea capitalism. Things we have discussed uh, earlier, these actually do not have anything to do with the political systems, but there are some kind of commonalities in the general idea. So let, I'll give some backstory in terms of what we we're talking about here. Um there is a, a famous sociologist, um, it, which does not mean that he practices socialism, <laughs> although he may have. Um, but it's, it's, a type, it's basically like the science of studying society. There is a famous sociologist named Robert K. Merton, and um, he put forth this framework that he called kudos. And basically, he's one of the things that he's in, is part of this framework is the idea of idea communism. And what he means by this is... The world in general will learn at a much more rapid pace if people freely and openly share ideas. So the opposite of this would be if you are very secretive about your ideas and you, you don't share your knowledge, right? Idea communism basically means I take what I know and I share it openly and freely with everybody and they do the same with me and then that basically raises the bar for all of us. Ironically. I, I know. It's, it's interesting. <laughs> this guy sounds like a commie. He might actually be. Um, and then, of course, the converse of that, for the lack of a better term, would be like idea capitalism, where you have an idea, but you try to profit off of that idea as opposed to primarily being interested in sharing that openly. So I guess in, in terms of like how is idea communism different from regular communism, there is actually a really weird and odd profound difference, right? The main thing with political communism is that it's very limited because in the real world, assets generally cannot be shared and benefit both parties, right? If I have money, that if I take money away from Matt, for example, that means he doesn't have that money anymore. If I take food away from Matt, that means he doesn't have that food anymore. So the main limitation of communism as a political system is that 
in order for, if I have something, a lot of the time it means I'm taking it from someone else. So communism is basically a massive redistribution of assets, right? And the problem is if you're constantly living in a society where anytime you take one step forward, you're going to wind up taking one or maybe two steps back because you're, what you've gained is going to be redistributed you're not really encouraged to be productive, right? There's no incentive to be productive. And in fact, it, in, it makes everyone kind of move into like a scarcity mindset. We talked about before the importance of an abundance mindset and how you always want to think of the world as a positive growth environment. If you're living in a world where every time you succeed, that success is taken away from you, you're not going to be encouraged to have a growth mindset. You're going to have a scarcity mindset. So that's one of the main limitations of communism as a political system. But when you're talking about ideas, things are a little bit different because the main difference with knowledge is that generally knowledge is not a physical asset. I can copy and paste knowledge as many times as I want, right? If I've got a good idea and I give it to Matt and then he gives it to a thousand other people, generally speaking, there, and again, we'll get into this later, but generally speaking, there is no cost to me. So that's one of the things that makes ideas so powerful is they can propagate ad nauseum, right? There, there's no cost to propagation. Uh, one good idea can very quickly light a fire and then everyone's on board. So the idea behind idea communism is the more we share, the more everybody gains. Now, the interesting thing is in regular communism, communism is generally considered to kill innovation and competition, right? And people. <laughs> yes. Always. Because, yeah. Because why, why would I try to improve the world or, imp you know, create something new if there's no immediate incentive to me? Whereas the thing that's interesting about idea communism is that doesn't necessarily always apply because if everyone is freely sharing ideas, then actually the landscape of ideas gets extremely competitive, right? And we see this in jujitsu where, um, you know, it, it used to be, you know, even just 10, 15 years ago that there really wasn't a, a massive database of knowledge out there. You know, no. they, it was very hard to actually find new knowledge. And as a result, the game did not really progress that much. But look at how much jujitsu has changed in the last 10 or 15 years now that there's YouTube and online academies and podcasts and Instagram posts, like the acceleration of learning has just, it is absolutely profound how much jujitsu has grown in the last 10 or 15 years. And it's because of idea communism. It's because if all of the best ideas are out there and everyone is constantly sharpening the ax and getting better and better, man, you better step up your game and your ideas need to be even better than everybody else's. So the irony is when you're talking about knowledge, communism actually can increase competition. So that's one of the things that's interesting about this. And, and that's why, you know, when we talk about this, it's important to understand we're not talking about the political system. This just happens to be the name that some guy chose. Perhaps it's unfortunate because it can be confusing, but I can also see why there would be similarities between this and the political system, right? You're basically talking about give everything away for free. But the difference is with physical, like political communism, you're talking about redistribution of wealth on a massive scale. Whereas with ideas, there is no redistribution of wealth. It's just pure growth, right? Mm -hmm. Does that yeah. make anything to add, Matt? Well, so so how would you, uh, how would you identify or how would you uh, describe idea capitalism then? Because to me, the, the term, and we, we kind of had a discussion about this before. To me, the term idea capitalism almost resonates with me in terms of free trade. So I almost associate 
the the uh, the concept of of sharing thoughts to be almost a capitalist uh, a capitalist um, comparison and not a communist comparison. Well, that is actually a, an interesting takeaway, right? Um, there's there's kind of two ways if, that you can share your knowledge. One is freely and openly with no expectation of getting something back. But the other is to try to, to profit off of that. And that's not a, not a dirty thing at all, right? I mean, if you look at the growth of like the tech sector in the last 40, 50 years, that's kind of partially in, in large part due to people trying to profit off of these ideas. But interestingly, not entirely. So in, in my mind, the difference would be like if I've got some sort of massive new idea or, or knowledge and I want to give that open freely to the world, uh, and I am not, you know, my, my primary focus is sharing and not profiteering then, and I don't mean that as a dirty word, in, in that case, I would say that that's idea communism. But if I have an idea and my first and foremost goal is to use this to benefit myself or my team, I, I would call that idea capitalism. And now the interesting thing is, as is often the case in the real world, neither of these is necessarily the right answer all the time, right? Generally speaking, anyone who tells you that something is right 100% of the time, usually that's a person who is not really critically thinking because very few things in the world are right 100% of the time. Um, probably uh, one of the best examples I can give is um, the growth of things like peer-to-peer -peer file sharing in the 90s. I mean, I think everyone remembers what happened when Napster came around and just how it absolutely obliterated aspects of the music industry. You know, it used to be, when I was a kid, that if you wanted to buy a CD, that would be like 18 bucks, right? 18 Canadian beaver dollars or whatever. Um, but now, you know, if you want to buy a CD, this is like 20 years later, it's going to be, you know, about nine bucks or to buy it digitally. Or if you have a streaming service, you don't even pay for it. You just get it with part of your subscription. Think about what that does to a music artist, right? I mean, this is an example of maybe where a full idea communism has actually not benefited everybody equally in the same way. Like, as a non-musician, it benefits me. I, I love the fact that I give Spotify nine bucks a month and I can have whatever I want, but it probably doesn't benefit the vast, vast majority of musicians out there. So, and, and is that fair, right? Is it fair to have the entire world benefit from these things except for the people who created the idea? Not really. Exactly. So, so now, In my opinion, it's not. Well, so that's... And could be part of the reason why music nowadays is... Well, exactly. You've got to really dig to find good music. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, the problem now is that a lot of these things like music, I mean, if you want to be a musician, you're basically doing it as a, as a passion project because even if you strike it moderately big, the odds of you really taking off, it's pretty slim, right? Um, now, that said, it's not impossible and things may change, you know, as, as now that we have things like Patreon and digital distribution, it could get to the point where music is, pun intended, rocking and rolling again at some point <laughs> and people are getting rich off of it. But there's no dis denying that um, things like digital streaming and peer-to-peer -peer file sharing had a massive impact on the music industry. So the question, th then you got to balance these two things, right? On one hand, there's really no argument that if everyone is freely sharing ideas, like more people are going to benefit than not. But it, there's also a, a fair argument that like if I create a product that is mostly intellectual and not physical, I should still reasonably be expected to get something out of that if that's what I want, right? Um, I mean, a, a good example of it, if you want to actually hear a really good example of this, if you have Audible, 
there's a, a book on there. It's a really short one. It's like three or four hours. It's uh, it's called The Butterfly Effect by, I think, by John Ronson. And what it talks about is it, it is kind of like a documentary style book. And it talks about the impact that Pornhub had on basically the day-to-day lives of people actually making porn. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah. As, as, as married <laughs> fathers, Matt and I have, I have of yeah. course, never heard of this product or service. Um but it, what's, what's interesting, though, is, of course, this company basically created this, like, free streaming porn service. And so this this guy goes and he interviews, like, all of these porn stars down in Florida and stuff. And they're just getting, like, destroyed. They're getting railed. <laughs> yeah. They're getting absolutely and, yeah. screwed. And in multiple senses of the word, <laughs> these people are getting destroyed, right? Like, they are um, – they, basically, they can't make any money anymore. Um, so this is an example of where, you know, maybe when you create something and it's given away for free, it's like, sure, maybe this – quote unquote benefits a lot of people, but at the end of the day, it has massive short-term impact on the people directly involved in the product. So how do you balance that? Now, in countries like Canada and the US, we have things like intellectual, uh, like property or property law, we have copyright law, trademark law. So you have some degree of ability to control how, you have like some recourse if someone is stealing your stuff. It's hard to, it's hard to actually enforce sometimes, but there are ways to do it. But the thing is, even with things like patents, for example, if you patent something after so many years, the patent automatically expires and then it becomes free. So even the American government, one of the greatest capitalist countries in the world, even they have idea communism baked into their system. Because the idea is, Matt, like if you patent a miracle drug or something, you've got like, I don't remember the, the number, but it's like 20, 30 something years where you have full exclusive ownership of it and you can do whatever you want with it. So you can make tons and tons of money, but there is a limit. Like after some point, it becomes open season and then anyone can jump in and use that knowledge. And that's why you get things like knockoff pharmaceuticals because and generic brands, because after the patent expires, then it becomes public domain. So the U.S. government has this clever way of balancing capitalism versus communism when it comes to ideas. You get that runway of profit. And I mean, let's be honest, you can make a lot of money in 30 years, right? But then at the end of the day, it becomes open to the public. Mm-hmm. And that's good because prices could go down and yeah, yeah, other yeah. people can find cheaper ways, more efficient Well, well that, that's the thing, right? Because at, yes, you want to incentivize people to do things like create these incredible drugs. But at the end of the day, if a company creates it and then they have a stranglehold on that drug for infinity, right? Then it doesn't incur. Eventually it gets to the point where they're no longer encouraged to be competitive because they can just rely on the fact that they own the patent. Whereas the fact that the, the patent basically expires after a few years, it forces other companies to get competitive. It forces them to be competitive because suddenly they've got competition now. They no longer own that exclusively and costs are going to go down. So the, the moral of the story is that extremes are generally not a good thing. Like you want to take the good and the bad of both of these systems. Mm-hmm. And in most, um, in most like developed countries, you see a combination approach where you have idea capitalism, where there is a short-term incentive for people to create, to monetize their ideas. But then you have a long-term path where things can be kind of shared openly and freely. Now I, I work in software. This is something we've talked about before. And uh, idea communism is a massive concept in the software world because it, like software can be copied and pasted at no cost to the original person, right? If I've got a, like a, a cool program that I wrote, I can copy and paste it a million times to no cost to myself. And that's part of the reason why it's been so hard to convince people that piracy is a bad thing, right? Because if I, if I make a movie and you get a free copy of that movie, 
is that really the same as stealing? It's like, no, it's, I mean, the movie industry would like you to think it's stealing, but it's not really. It's, it's not good. Like piracy is not a good thing for the economy, but it's not the same as stealing, right? You're making a copy with, with no harm to the original person. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, I might be taking away your possible profits that you might have made, but you can't really prove or guarantee that, right? Um, I, I mean, a good example would be like, if I break into your house and steal your TV, yeah, that's stealing. But if I, if I look at you, Matt, and I say, I like your TV, and I have a magic wand, and I can wave it, and now suddenly it makes a copy of your TV that I now own, is that stealing? Are, are you going to feel like I ripped you off? I mean... I'm not. Yeah, but Samsung might yeah, or whoever Samsung made it, might. right? So, so it's, it's an interesting, tricky dilemma. Um, in software, this comes up a lot, because unlike physical products, software can be copied ad nauseum, right? So And, and you can lose control of, of this stuff. Uh, and interestingly... A lot of the software that is out there was intentionally created to be free to everybody. Uh, there's, this is called open source software in most cases. So some people, when they make something, they, you know, they decide I want to monetize this. Other people, when they make it, they give it away for free. And there's a, a kind of a healthy mix of that, especially in the U.S., if you did not have people creating open source software, there would be no internet. There would be pretty much no devices like the iPhone or Android or anything because all of these things are built on top of open source software. Mm -hmm. So you need that stuff. And there's no denying there's been a massive positive impact on the world because of this stuff. But on the other hand, like you've got big tech companies that have dramatically enriched the lives of uncountable people because they are capitalists. So Neither of these is the right answer in isolation, but you can use them together. Mm -hmm. So how does this fit into jujitsu then is the question, right? Because there's all of this talk about like, hey, if I should I share my game openly or should I keep it secret? This mm -hmm. is something we've alluded to before. And our general philosophy has been better to share openly, right? But that doesn't mean you always want to share openly right away. So I guess that's the thing to talk about today, Matt. Under what circumstances... Is it appropriate to share your knowledge openly about jujitsu, and in what circumstances do you want to hoard it like a squirrel? Yeah, I I, I teach um, grappling at SFU, which Simon is Fraser University. Simon Fraser University, and um, there's a, one of the guys. Last time I went there to teach, he asked me, he asked me what I thought about coaches who withhold techniques for uh, people who aren't uh, students, and I I thought it was kind of an obvious answer, but I guess from his point of view, maybe not so obvious mm -hmm. as he's a lower rank. Um, you know, once, once you spend like, if, if jujitsu is your life and it is your livelihood and you make money off jujitsu, you might see it differently from someone who's just a, pre a practitioner who maybe has another job or another trade. Um, and my, my answer to him was, you know, if someone comes into my club, uh, whether or not they're my student or not, I'm going to show them um, you know, I'm going to teach them all the, all the alignment stuff, all the stuff that makes our system what it is. Does that mean that in that one drop in session, I'm going to show them every detail or, or my best, you know, the, my best details for leg locks or, or whatever, you know, pro probably not. And, and, and it, it just might not be able to be possible that I show them everything. Um, if they ask, you know, and then, and then it comes down to the question of like, what if they have questions for you? Will you answer their questions? I mean, I think it's fair for an instructor to answer visitors' questions, um, you know, in, in full. But if it's, you know, let's say it's you're starting to now occupy the instructor's time, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I think it's time now that it's fair to, it's justified to ask for a, a private lesson mm -hmm. as opposed to just essentially just 
mooching off <laughs> all, yeah. the, all the all the information. So I'm I'm one of the more um, I'm I, I'm I, uh, as I was becoming an instructor, I was one of the more open instructors that I I could think of who would share knowledge and information, even to out out of uh, you know other visitors to my club. Um, but now definitely I see myself as a bit more conservative when it comes to my, my techniques. When I have, let's say someone from another school who drops in, you know, this, I might have information that could be a breakthrough for this person, but I know that if I give it to them, I'm conflicted because now their school has it at virtually no cost. And it was something that took me or my coaches a long time to develop. So it's a moral conflict I want to share. But at the same time, I don't want to give someone a, a really competitive edge, giving them something when, you know, not not necessarily because I feel like they're going to defeat me or my my students in competition, but more because morally, I think it is worth value. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really where it comes from. It's not like a... Um, you know, I, I was a lot more uh, free to share earlier on as I was coming up through the ranks. And I wanted, you know, I, I would do a lot more posts about thing, you know, techniques that I'm doing. Now that I'm a black belt, I do very rare. I very rarely post uh, techniques. And and there's a reason for that. It's It's not because I'm trying to withhold information and you know, keep my guys in an advantage compared to other students, but it's more so, more so because, you know, there is a cost associated with this knowledge. And I feel that it's, it's, it is worth something and to, to not want something in return does devalue it on some level. So morally that's sort of because jujitsu is how I survive. Um, now I feel that it is, uh, you know, it's more justified to ask for, uh, some kind of compensation. Yeah, you've, this is a, uh, an interesting one because on, on one hand, you know, you want to put something out there so that everyone knows how good you are. But on the other hand, you have to understand that your time and your knowledge has value. And if you give away, it's very easy for people to undervalue knowledge. This is a, as a, as a knowledge worker, this is a problem that I deal with a lot because, because you see this a lot in software, right? Like if you want a car, Matt, there's, you're never going to go to a car dealership and say, I think you should give me that car for free. Or, hey, you want $16,000 for that car? I think it's worth $100. Like, you're never going to have that conversation because there's a physical thing in front of you and you know the effort. But if someone builds like a piece of software and you ask for $400 for it, people don't have a point of reference and they'll think, that is, that's insane. Why would I pay that much for software? That's a ripoff, right? And it's the same thing with when you're sharing ideas or training or knowledge. Some people have a hard time understanding how much this stuff is actually worth, right? Yeah. It's, it's very hard to put a, a dollar figure on something that doesn't have a cost of goods. <laughs> you know, exactly. like if, if I'm, if I'm making posters, there was a, a cost I had to put in to make that stuff and that's got to be factored into the price. But if I'm giving you a game plan that took me 12 years of my life to create, how do you put a dollar figure on that? Yeah. And it, it doesn't, because there's no physical thing, you kind of see, it kind of feels to a lot of people like you should just be able to ask and get that for free, right? Yeah, especially I feel because like now, like you mentioned at, at the top of the show, we talked about like how YouTube and all, mm -hmm. all these different resources that are so readily available now and YouTube is a free resource. So, um, you know, like I think a lot of people nowadays are used to getting things for free yeah, and they yeah. kind of have lost the concept of value of, of knowledge or, or what have you, because there is so much on out there on the internet that you can view and learn for free they think well why you know if i'm going to go do a private with matt is is this really worth the amount of money it costs or if i'm gonna you know get an instructional or whatever is it is it really worth the money it costs and um we kind of get 
numb to the fact that people do make their living off of this and that it is worth something and that it like you said it might take over a decade it might take over a decade for this person to accrue this information like when rob developed his leg lock system you know at first he was he uh he didn't want to give it to people because first of all it wasn't refined to the point where he felt like he could actually uh systemize it into a dvd right but now that his dvd is out and he's making money off of it he's 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 more open to showing a lot more of it so you know it, it it's really for me like i said it's not so much about i want my opponents to be at a disadvantage because i feel like um the information is out there but it is a matter of morals as a Mm -hmm. as a business person and you know when you put your when you put your heart into something you definitely feel like it's worth something uh in terms of you know financial gain yeah so, yeah I and mean, i don't think that's i don't think that that's greedy or no or it's it, unreasonable it is, i don't think it is at all right and i think part of the problem is because just due to the fact that there's such an abundance of content online now it's created this expectation that things should be cheap or even free in a lot of cases right and that's up to the creator if a creator wants to give things away for free that's up to them but if someone thinks that the content has value and they want to charge for that, I, I think that we kind of have moved away from understanding the importance of, of people's expertise and the value of it. Like we yeah. we do this podcast for free um, because that's how we want to do it, right? I mean, I, and I'm I'm perfectly happy to have as many people listen to this as they want. But you know, if I did actually want to do this as a full time job, it it would be hard, right? It's very hard to make money off of an endeavor like this. So if if this were an idea capitalistic venture, it would not be a profitable one. (laughs) So, um, I mean, a good example, you know, you talked about how just everyone wants something for free and there's so much stuff out there. Especially fighters. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I, I remember when we were kids, like, you remember how much video games used to cost when we were kids? They were like... 70 80 bucks or so i i remember there was a game for the sega genesis i think it was called virtual racing and it was like one of the first 3d games that was out there and it was like 120 dollars. and this isn't like 1995 dollars. okay bear that in mind nowadays a few months after it's released you can get like a pretty good game like a top quality game for like 30 bucks 20 bucks sometimes even less um that's insane right and also bear in mind like the budget for some of these games now is like hundreds of millions of dollars maybe even billions of dollars it is as someone who has worked in the game development industry it is incredibly difficult for companies to make profit there because the consumer expectation is that the price should be low right and and there's just there's so much stuff out there and consumers have been trained to pay very very little like inflation tells us that in a growing economy the cost of goods should go up over time how is it that when i was a kid we were paying 80 dollars for video games 20 years later we're paying $70, but meanwhile, the cost of game development itself has gone up exponentially. Like, that's the reason why so many of these companies go out of business left and right. It's just so hard to make money off of that. And it's the exact same thing in jujitsu, right? There's so much free content content out there on YouTube. How do you compete with that if you want to be an idea capitalist, for lack of a better term? You really need to have certain skills that set you apart from competitors and local gyms like people that come to my gym know that they're going to get things that uh that trickle down from robert naki's concepts you know all the system-based approach the alignment concepts the leg lock system all that stuff sets me apart from other clubs in the area and you know it's funny enough like people message me they'll be like hey matt can i come to class tonight and i'm like 
yeah, you can come to class tonight. Do you mean can you come for free? <laughs> like, like, of course, you you know that I that my gym is open to everyone. You can come to class. Now, I think that uh, because it helps me keep the lights on, you know, it's fair that you pay a drop-in rate. Yeah. If you're asking me around the bush, can I come to class because I want to learn from free and uh, just – yeah, get get something for nothing. Then you know, I I understand that uh, it's it's hard to live in this city, Vancouver. But at mm-hmm. the same time, um, you know, it's also hard for us to live in this exactly. City it's 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 only fair, right? And uh, and it's funny how you talk about the games gaming industry like that. Like I, one of the things that resonates with me is the culinary industry. I mm-hmm. I was a chef for ten years, and and uh, never once did I see it possible or profitable to have my own outlet like have a business of my own have a restaurant of my own it's a nightmare logistically um financially it's you know there's so many perishable food items that are constantly going through that could go bad there's staff both front and back of the house inventory lots of hours like it just doesn't it's not really a profitable model considering how much it costs to keep a restaurant running to to rent to lease a space and to constantly buy food which is super expensive right and then you try and sell it to people and they don't want to pay what what it's worth like really if you go out to dinner and the bill you know you take your wife out for dinner and the bill comes to fifty dollars like that's reasonable mm-hmm. it, but but if you're going to have anything fancy it's probably going to be double that or, or possibly even more depending if you're having drinks and all that so you it really leaves you limited to the to uh a particular group of people who can actually afford to eat that food and thus you lose a lot of business as a restaurant. So that's why you, I think you see so many restaurants going under. Now, how, what makes the difference between a restaurant that stays in business and a restaurant that goes under? Usually the restaurant that stays in business offers something that other restaurants don't, whether it's an excellent experience or, you know, the, the food is, is, uh, is on another level or whatever. But it's really hard to make that a profitable industry and that's why I decided to get out of there as fast as I could when I realized that because um first of all because I was falling in love with jujitsu to the point where I wanted to make it a career but also because I just realized like when you crunch the numbers it's just not a profitable business to have your own restaurant and be an entrepreneur not only that but you know your your family life is completely lost you don't have any hours for yourself right definitely no hours for jujitsu so yeah yeah and i i think that jujitsu itself is is like that in a lot of ways too where people they don't understand the value or they they can't place a label on it i mean at least in the situation with food people have some understanding that physical goods are expensive right i mean they, they might not want to pay 50 bucks per person but they could understand how something could cost 50 bucks per person. Whereas with jujitsu, it's much harder. You know, people look at things like a, an online academy that costs 20 bucks or a, a DVD instructional that costs 100 bucks and they think, oh, this is an outrageous price. I can't pay this. But like, think about... A DVD you know, for 20 bucks would be stupidly yeah, cheap. Yeah, like think, <laughs> think about the amount of time that it, it put in, that someone had to put in, not just to create the DVD or the instructional itself, but also to accrue the decade plus worth of experience that's required to be in a position yeah. where you can even provide that knowledge. Um, it's very hard for people to put a dollar figure on that mentally. And again, when there's so much free stuff out there, um, I, I don't know if we really want to talk too much about this in, in BJJ mental models because it's not really something related to jujitsu. But in the business world, there is a term, there's a mental model called the race to the bottom. And basically this is where 
people there, where there's just like there's such a glut of, of competition out there that people things get so competitive that people basically devalue their own product to the point where they're not making money anymore yeah. like probably the best example go on like the app store or something and if something is worth like three dollars on the app store you'll see people leaving one star reviews and saying this is a ripoff three dollars is ludicrous like <laughs> yeah. do you know how much I want work, it for free do you know how much work it is to build a piece of software like that it is a ton of work and we live in a world now where a one-time payment of three dollars is considered excessive. That is a race to the bottom. And we're, we kind of see that in jujitsu as well, I worry, where it's going to get progressively more and more difficult for people to really make money online yeah. because they're just so used to getting stuff for free. Yeah. And if especially if you own a school, you know, you might... The, the worst thing that I think I could do would be to resort to uh, cheesy salesman tactics. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I like Rob's my coach and I, I see how he runs an academy based on standards and you know, the integrity of the art and whatever. So that that's kind of, I think, a, a more passion-based business model that is successful by osmosis just through passion. Mm-hmm. But, but someone who, you know, starts charging for, you know, testing, stripes, things like that, really uh, volume over, uh, over or quantity over quality, things like this, and it's everywhere. So really what's going to make you a successful businessman is having a a portfolio, ideally like a competition record, um, you know, having an understanding of a deep understanding of jujitsu and also an understanding that, uh, you know, that instruction is a very valuable aspect of having a business, not just being good at jujitsu, but being able to make those around you good as well is a really important aspect for business owners. And just another shameless plug for those of you that like things for free, uh, (laughs) Stefan Kesting right now on Grapple Arts, he he just posted something on Facebook a few weeks ago about how um, if you make yourself a uh, uh, an organ donor, say you pass away or whatever, and you, you allow your body to, um, your organs to be used for research or whatever, he will give you a free instructional of your choice on grapplearts.com. So kind of a cool thing, but, uh, you know, it's basically a free instructional. Assume you don't m- mind a student playing with your spleen when you're gone. And, and then that way you can get my instructional for free. So definitely check that out. If it, if it's something that interests you. Good plug. Yeah. You give, probably just, just give lost up your heart and soul. <laughs> you probably just lost a bunch of sales. That's <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, interestingly, though, you know, you were t- on the topic of how hard it can be to, to make money off of this. One of the things that I learned is, um, you know, when, when you're looking for customers, you don't want to do business with cheap people if you can avoid it. You know, we talked about this on the instructor series, but... If you're trying to get money out of people who want to nickel and dime you at every single step, it's just not going to be worth it. You want to do business with people who understand the value of things and you want to educate them on the value of the services that you provide and why that why it's worth that. Yes. Um, this comes down to... This happens to me all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's just not worth spending all of your time trying to negotiate with people who have a scarcity mindset because they're not concerned about growth. They're not concerned about buying something to grow themselves. They're concerned about managing their losses and not spend, not losing money. Right? So it's very, very important when you're, when you're targeting something, you know, if you want to make money off of an idea, don't play this race to the bottom game. You know, you want to make sure that you come up with a strategy for teaching and educating people on the value of your material. And if someone just isn't going to hear it, they're not a good customer for you. It's it's funny, like uh, my business, I actually just had our fourth year anniversary of our school being open. And um, I remember at the beginning, I would get anyone in that door, like yeah. anyone comes in, please, like I, I'm going to sign you up. 
oh, can you cut me? Sure. Okay. I'll, 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 I'll work with you, whatever. Uh, and, and I was more flexible, but like now that I have uh, a business that's actually doing really well, I, it's funny. Like I would, I'll get people in and they're going to go unnamed right now, but I used to train with them back in, back in the day. And, you know, they come up to me and they're, they're thinking about joining my school and they're like, you know, can you, can you cut me a price? Like we used to know each other back in the day. I'm thinking to myself, like, it's like if you used to know, if they used to know you, wouldn't they want you to succeed and be happy? You know, well, not only, make a living? not only that, but it's like, um, where were you when I started my business? Yeah, you know, yeah. like you were, you weren't there helping me then. And now, now you want something, uh, at a discount price, literally because I quote, know you, like I'm not even, uh, we're not even friends. We're just acquaintance acquaintances. And, and this person is trying to basically devalue my, my, uh, my livelihood, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I've put a lot into this. And, and then, so what I said was, Hey, this is the price. Um, and this is why this is the price is mm-hmm. because you're not going to get this training somewhere else. Mm-hmm. This is, this is what sets us apart. This is a value, um, that, and this is what it's worth. And sometimes as a business owner, you kind of have to have those uncomfortable, stern conversations. Um, and like I said, it comes down to, uh, morals and ethics and I, uh, to being true to myself. If you constantly are devaluing your, 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 uh, your 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 tuition to students because you're trying to get people in the door. You're probably not filling your school with the type of people that are, like you said, the best for you. You're you're investing in people that have a scarcity mindset, mm-hmm. and that could it could cause you headaches down the road when it comes time to collect fees or you know people just. I found people that have that mindset tend to be a little bit more flaky flaky and a little bit more difficult to actually have in the room. Yeah. I, I used to uh, work, you know, I used to do a lot of contracting and I remember like there would be some customers where I could bill them every month. No problem. Not an issue. And there would be other customers who like I'd bill them once and they'd argue over like a few dollars here and there and it just wasn't worth it. Right. No, uh, it's not. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, that, that's, that approach isn't scalable. And if someone doesn't see the value in what you're doing, you don't want to be with that person, right? You don't want yeah. to work with that person. It, someone, the value that you're providing should be so obvious that the person gladly exactly. pays Exactly. And those people do exist, right? Especially in a world as big as ours where through technology, you can connect with almost every human being on the planet now. You know, those people do exist. There will be people out there who see the value in what you're doing. So if you are on an, uh, an idea capitalistic venture, um, those are the people that you want to do business with. So to kind of tie up my philosophy on this, right? It, it, there are some situations where sharing stuff freely and openly is, is the right way. There's some situations where paying, you know, paying your dues and making sure that the creator is supported is the right way, which to me, which the right answer comes down to what does the person who created the idea want from it, right? That to me is the one thing that determines what the answer should be. Like in the case of um, this podcast, right? We openly and freely give this away for free. We have no expectation of ever making any money off of this. This is value that we want to give back to the community. Though it would be nice. It, it would be nice. <laughs> not, not, that we, not that we have advertised any way that you can give money to us, but it would be good to st- for you to start feeling guilty right now. And <laughs> um, but that said, though, you know, if if your intent is to profit and make money, then you ha- you should have the right to charge what you feel is a reasonable value and the market should have the right to dictate whether that is actually indeed a reasonable value. Yeah. Like time and labor, uh, it takes a lot out of your life. So you should be compensated because otherwise that time and labor and knowledge could be going towards something that could get you money. Right. And And like, like take a guy like Nikola Tesla, 
everything he did, he wanted to give for free. Yeah. And, and that was a very unselfish way to, yeah. to go through life. Now, does that mean he was, he, he wouldn't be justified in asking for money? Of course he would have been justified in asking for money, but he wanted that information out there so that people could use that knowledge to progress science and, and engineering, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And so the interesting thing about idea communism is that a lot of the time, Tesla is a good example, a lot of the time idea communism leads to capitalist results because first and foremost, uh, you know, we gave a great example, you know, we're on here complaining about how there's a race to the bottom and it's because there's so much free content out there. Well, that's an example of the market at work, right? You know, if we can't charge massive, massive fees because other people are giving away content for free... Unfortunately, that's capitalism at work. So sometimes communism can, the idea of communism can lead to a capitalist result. Additionally, um, in the case of like if you're giving away free software, for example, there are a lot of companies and creators and individuals who have given their product away for free and wound up making tons of money on top of it. Um, some examples, if you're in the software world, um, like the so many devices now are powered by something called the Linux kernel, which is basically like a, the core of an operating system that was given away for free decades ago. It's probably on your phone. It's probably on your computer. Um, that and this was given away for free. And you know, honestly, it's made it's created a lot of careers for a lot of people. The guy who created it is now super duper famous because he created this. Um, look at YouTubers, for example, who make a you know, a lot of these people now make a lot of money because they created, by giving away content for free, they've created a platform for themselves that they can then monetize later. So yeah. these two things are not mutually exclusive. And it, it's kind of weird how, you know, you, you don't, it, it kind of makes you realize that, you know, sometimes things that we think are polar opposites are, are not polar opposites. They can play into each other in these cases. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes down to like, as an instructor, like what if I come up with a really cool technique or like a brand new technique where that's just like, you know, it, you, you can see the potential that it yeah. could be game changing in certain scenarios. Right. And then, so <laughs> should, you know, should you shelter people from that? Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I don't think it's unreasonable to limit that to the people that like, for, even if I, if I come up with something new, I, I tend to have the, the, the tendency to to share it with my team, to share it with my coach right away. Doesn't mean that I'm going to put it on social media for everyone to see. Um, but it might even be smarter for me to actually withhold that information from some of my teammates for a short period of time so that I can use it and see how effective it really is, right? Well, ju- just like how we were talking about things like copyright law and patents, right? You know, there's, you get a window where you can monetize and then at some point the, the idea becomes public domain. Yeah. I, I think it's similar in jujitsu where over the long term, it's better if everyone has access to all of the knowledge. But yeah, in the short course. term, I don't see any reason, any problem with people making a profit off of what they've created. Like as an example, if you were an ace competitor and you invented some crazy new killer guard, I think it's reasonable that rather than just like putting it up on Instagram, you just go out there and obliterate everybody in tournaments for a while, get that, you know, get your wins out of that. And then once everyone kind of knows what you're doing from there, then you can release your instructional, right? You know, I, I think that it, it's a similar approach where it's okay for uh, that tr- for the short term to get some benefit out of your idea. But th- the reality is in a world like today, 
it is going to get out there eventually. So it's probably in, in your best interests once that happens to take the lead on that conversation and become the expert and share that knowledge freely. Yeah. And not only like maybe withholding it from your team a little bit so you can play with it. Eventually, they're going to be like, what are you doing? This is something you're doing something totally different. I want to know what it is. And at that point, it might even be a smart idea to share with your students because then they can offer a better defense yeah. for you. You understand the predictable responses to that. Yeah. And then you can now de- further develop whatever technique that you have. They can right? they can basically try to break your idea, right? Because a lot of the time things things might sound good in a vacuum, but then they don't. Like there have been there have been times where I'm sitting sitting in bed and I think I think of some great jujitsu idea. And I think, man, this would be this is a game-changing submission. How has no one ever thought of this? And then I go to class and I try it and I realize you know what? In order for this to actually work, you would need three arms. <laughs> like, have you ever had that? Where like, yeah, you, yeah. you think of something in your mind, yeah. but then when you try it, you realize, actually, this doesn't work at all. <laughs> yeah, it was better in theory. But. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing and there is no right answer, but I... I hope that kind of puts into context uh, the, the spectrum of like when to share your ideas versus when to, to keep them to yourself. Um, yeah, and, and that's another good point. You know, the whole secret technique thing. In in a world like today, nothing stays secret for long. Exactly. But everyone's I, got a camera phone. Yeah, like if you do that technique once at a tournament, it's out there, and it's yeah, and someone sees it on camera, it's like, well, now it can be shared with everyone, literally instantly. Yeah. Right. So. So how long can you keep techniques actually secret nowadays? But like you said, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to like not get your wins out of it, get your notoriety out of it, and then maybe down the line start monetizing it by having an instructional or yeah. maybe you, you, know, you, you win titles from it or whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and honestly, it's good to test your ideas before you try to send them out there. You know, if, if your idea is totally unproven, it might not, you know, if you do put it out there for everyone to share, if it's not really tested in the wild, you might find out, find out that you're actually quite wrong, right? Yeah. So, Or even worse, maybe because you put it out untested, someone will be inspired by it and they will perfect it and they will get the, the credit for yeah. something that maybe you first developed. This happens all the time, like especially in software yeah. where, you know, I, I think it was the, was it the Xerox lab? There was some really, really famous like innovation lab where they created like everything. Like they created like the, 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 the visual user interface and the mouse and all of this stuff. And then like Apple and Microsoft just ran with it <laughs> and everybody forgot the people who actually created it. Yeah. So it's reasonable for you. I mean, it, it really comes down to what you want. If your primary goal is to share with the world, it's reason- then it's totally reasonable to just go give away all of your stuff and make the world a better place. But if your primary goal is to rack up some wins for yourself, it's also totally reasonable to try use something in a tech, you know, in a tournament without sharing it, get those wins racked up, you know, make a product based around that, make money off of that. That is also reasonable as well. I think it really just comes down to what does the creator want? What does the person who created this idea want to do with it? And all you guys, I'm just going to talk to the jujitsu fighters out there that try and get shit for free. Don't do it. To all you guys who go to open mats and think that you can just train and roll with people and, and share ideas and then walk out without even thanking the instructor, without offering a drop-in fee, without offering to clean the mats, have some decency. Even like even if you're gonna, even if you know that where you're going, you're in, the instructor there who's hosting whatever an open mat or they're having a class and you want to drop in or whatever, and you know they're not going to charge you. You know that they, you know it's fine. You don't need to pay. At least offer. Like mm-hmm. this is a this is an etiquette thing. This is a. But it's something that I see all too much, and and that, and that's people just like if I were to drop into a school, I'm a black belt. A lot of schools don't even charge black belts to drop in, mm-hmm. right? But if you if you do go to a school and you 
don't expect to pay, um, you should still offer. It's 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 a it's a character thing, and it's fair. It's yeah. you know now that I look at jujitsu as a business, and that's how I make my living. Like. Um, it's really not cool to go to a school and try and train with the students there and learn from them while you can and then just walk out, right? All I'm saying is the best way to show gratitude, offer to clean the mats, offer to pay a drop into the instructor. This is common sense, but amazing how many people don't even have this concept. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yes, I know that, you know, a lot of people will say, I, I can't afford it. And maybe that's true. But number one, you know, you being poor doesn't mean that I also need to be poor. <laughs> and, and number two, um, the other the other thing to bear in mind is that even if you don't actually have money, there's other ways that you can compensate. Yeah, clean people, the mats. Right? You can clean the mats. You can offer a skill swap. We talked about on that on the instructor series of episodes. You can, you know, maybe for some places, they'll even be happy if you just give them a nice shout out on social media, right? Yeah, there, there's yeah. always something that you can do to provide value. Value, and it's not always in the form of money. And if you can't offer any of those things, you're then, pretty unskilled and pretty useless. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come in. <laughs> if, you, if you have no useful skills in life, uh, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, you, you've already screwed yourself and you probably should have spent time in your 20s accruing skills instead of partying and <laughs> yeah. traveling. Although even then you could argue that partying and traveling are kind of skills. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and you should you should realize that... Um, Everyone has a use. Like even if you, yeah. even if you're dirt poor, you know, and you, and you, I don't know, whatever you you feel like you have nothing to offer. Like, what are you good at? Like that skill swap is a perfect a perfect opportunity to like go to a school, you know, train with the people there, and then maybe you can offer something to them besides money, right? And and then in a way, it could be even more beneficial yeah. than money. Well, I mean, that's kind of why we did this podcast, right? There's a million podcasts and YouTube channels out there, and uh, you know, when, when we first started talking about this, I my first thought was, well, can we really do something that is totally different from what everyone else has done that would actually add value? Like, who the hell are we really at the end of the day, right? But yeah. once uh, I we literally are nobody. We're in literally the nobody. <laughs> at least you have a DVD. Like, I, I have literally never competed, right? So I was, uh, you know, I was thinking, like, why would anyone ever really listen to us? But I, I realized, you know, we have a very both of us from different backgrounds have a very different way of thinking. You know, you come from a very systematic jujitsu approach, whereas my job is basically to think in systems. And there's an intersection between those ideas that no one else really does very well out there in the community. So there, there is something like you might, you just might not have put two and two together yet. But if you think about it, there is some way that you can provide value. It's just a matter of identifying what it is. Yeah. And Every, you, everyone's got skills. Yeah. Right? And this is just a general good life, bit of life advice too. If you feel like, oh, I don't have any useful skills or, uh, you know, I, I, no one would ever hire me. I guarantee you just do that, do that exercise where you draw the Venn diagram, right? What are the things I'm passionate about? What are the things I'm good at? What are the things that I can make money off of? There's always going to be something in the center. And if you can't find something in the center, you just need to think harder because everyone has something in the middle of that Venn diagram that they can live off of. Yeah. I mean, you could go listen to the Matt Byrne podcast with Hanger and Keenan. But... Yeah. If, if you want to listen to like a guy who's like, quote unquote, actually like good at jujitsu, <laughs> if that's your priority, then go for it. But if you want to listen to just like two idiots from Canada, just talk about <laughs> mental models and stuff, yeah. th then you want to stay here. They're not talking about mental. They, they actually, They're talking about Teslas. They actually don't even talk about anything technical. It's literally just two of them 
chatting, but I find it super interesting hearing two world. Well, I think I think Hanger is a world. Actually, I don't think Keenan is a world champion, but the, obviously they're both super decorated jujitsu personalities, and I find it really interesting to just listen to their podcast. But uh, you know, apples and oranges. Like we're trying to actually provide education, and a lot of time they're just kicking the piss out of each yeah. other and talking about Keenan's new gym and how he's sp- this split from autos went right yeah. but but you know it's uh, different podcasts have different purposes so. yeah yeah we, we had to kind of think about how to position this thing right and every other podcast is like a, all about interviewing c- competitors or something like that or in the case of keenan it is a a famous competitor hosting the podcast so but it, this is a good example of how there's always a slant that you can put on something that will differentiate you from everyone else Keenan too does have the benefit of just being generally kind of like an interesting personality. So it's yeah. it's one of those things where like it's kind of like a slice of life. Like you just get to get into the head exactly. of this like ace competitor, not even necessarily talking about jujitsu, but just what does what makes this dude tick? It's pretty cool, and and actually, Hanger is the one who's the host, according to him, <laughs> and Keenan is sometimes the co-host. But yeah, it, it is a funny dynamic, guys. Definitely, I recommend checking out the Matt Burn podcast. Obviously, as well as the uh, BJJ Mental Models podcast. Yeah, yeah. It might have... Matt Burm, actually, by the time this goes live, might have been out for a while. But as of this recording, it's relatively new, and I've only heard good things about it. So, go for it. It's interesting. Cool. So, just to recap what we talked about today, um, four main mental models. A lot of them are relatively new to us, that we haven't really spoken about them before. One of them, uh, of course, idea communism. The idea uh, theorized by Robert Merton, basically saying that... The world as a whole will benefit if everyone shares knowledge openly and equally. And this has been actually panned out. I mean, unlike political communism, this actually kind of does work. Just look at the the history of like tech and you see it in action. And it didn't end in starvation and genocide. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's totally different. Uh, Idea capitalism, though, on the other hand, this is uh, the other slant, right? You do have the right to make money off of your work. Um, and there is a middle ground between the two. These two things can also play in tandem. You, you can have kind of a hybrid system. So on one hand, if you want to make free stuff, go for it. But on the other hand, if you want to, you know, if someone wants to charge you for the value of their time, that's a reasonable expectation as well. Uh, we talked about the abundance mindset again, or the opposite of that being the, the scarcity mindset. You know, you want to live in a world where you're looking for growth. You want to always look, ask yourself, how can I be bigger? How can, how can I make things better? How can I make things more abundant? Um, but you, what you don't want is a situation where you have a scarcity mindset and you're basically thinking, how can I hoard and save the little that I have? Um, Especially the, as a business owner, I found yes. that any money that I make, I try and put back into my business and as a result, you yeah. only get more business. So yeah. it's crazy. It's way better. It's crazy because political communism is about a scarcity mindset, but idea communism is about an abundance mindset. So it's very weird how they're different. Uh, and we also talked about the race to the bottom, which is just the theory that when people get super, when the market is super, super competitive, sometimes people compete so hard that they actually put themselves out of business by charging too little for the value of their time. Yeah. Cool. So I've, I've got a question, Matt. I thought this one, we haven't talked about this one before the show, so this is going to be a new one oh to you. Oh, God. Are you going to, is this an ambush? No, this is a, this is an interesting one. Okay. Uh, this is not some guy just shitting on you, Matt. Okay. Don't, no, okay. <laughs> if, by the way, if anyone ever wants to just like completely shit on Matt and challenge him, just send it to me in private and I'll take care of it. I'll just ambush him. Or you could just go on Reddit and talk shit about my instructional. <laughs> yeah, he'll be I there will, in five minutes. I will be there. I'm always there. <laughs> Okay. Can we pause it? I, I need to take a quick Matt has to go to the bathroom. I'm not going to cut this out, but I will pause <laughs> it. So we're back from the bathroom. How did it go, Matt? 
Well, oddly enough, whenever my parents, whenever our parents go to the cabin, they turn the water off, so I can't flush the toilet. Yeah, we're going to talk about this. I'm not, I'm not going to edit this out. <laughs> Luckily, so. it's only uh, I only took number one, but uh, <laughs> God. Yeah, so we've um, <laughs> let, let, you know what? Let's talk about yeah, this. Let's so they'll appreciate this. So yeah. I, we mentioned before that you know just to get the peace and quiet because we've both got kids, we kind of go to like a, a DMZ when we're recording. We tend to go to our folks' house and we find like a quiet room and we just record. They're currently out of town, and my dad's got this like weird obsession where whenever he like leaves the house. He's got to like lock the doors and turn off the power and like set the alarm and turn off the water to the house. He, even if he's like going to the store, sometimes he'll do this. Like turn the water off when he goes to the store. Well, that that's maybe a bit much. But they're they're like out of town for like one night, one night. two nights. But yeah. I, I two nights. But I guess presumably he's worried that like during that time the 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 temperature is going to drop from like thirty one degrees Celsius to freezing, and then the the boiler is going to blow and the house is going to flood if so, that even happens. Yeah. So know. he's so he's turned off the water. So now we can't flush the toilets. This is one of the, the weird idiosyncrasies of our family. Now you got pee in a toilet. Yeah, yeah. so they're going to come home and they're going to find a surprise and hopefully this will be a learning lesson for them. Um, anyway, back to, <laughs> back to BJJ Mental Models. So I got an interesting question and this was actually, I, th- I think, a really cool one. So the guy says, hey guys, brilliant show and thank you for the great everything. Um, that's not part of the question. I just wanted to make sure that that gets said for the Excellent. record. The question was, for reasons I won't get into, I ghosted my first school after being there for two and a half years to join a better team. Do you think it's low or dirty to do so? I really don't want to go into any explanations of why I feel disappointed in my expectations with my previous professor, but since I know our paths will eventually cross here in the BJJ community, I kind of want to avoid that awkwardness also. I'm totally at a loss for the appropriate thing to do here. But he already left. Yes, he already left. So basically he's asking... Was that an okay thing to do or should he have kind of like gone to his instructor and settled it in person or is it okay to basically oh, ghost to school? So he just, when he says ghosted, he means he left without having a conversation. Yeah, basically he was like a bad Tinder date where he just kind of disappeared and no one ever heard from him again. I mean, um, really it's not the worst thing in the world and we have no idea sort of the mm-hmm. circumstances surrounding the event. It's not the worst thing in the world. Like, leaving to go train in another school is totally fine, I think. Um, And anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to hoard a cult mentality. Mm -hmm. But personally, for me, I think having a conversation with your instructor is the right thing to do. Um, Anyone who, who would leave my club and go train somewhere else, I would appreciate as the head instructor at least a conversation. Um but it's not the worst thing in the world if that happens. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, kind of it's it's tough to get it to really know without knowing the exact situation. Because let me tell you, like I've seen a lot of mass exoduses from gyms where people kind of just leave, and you know I I am well aware that in the jujitsu community, a lot of the time things happen and you don't owe that person any excuse at all. Like true. Some, some instructors, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of real garbage in the jiu-jitsu community, unfortunately. Uh, and a lot of the time, like it would be completely appropriate to just up and leave. Uh, yeah. I, I will say that you need to remember at the end of the day, you are a paying customer and, and ask, I know that in ju- in the jiu-jitsu community and in the martial arts community in general, there's this like mystique about loyalty and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, you're paying for a gym membership. Like, would you feel guilty if you ghosted Gold's Gym and you just decided you didn't want your membership anymore and you just never showed up again? Probably not, right? I don't think you should necessarily feel any more guilty here than you would 
it there. Now that said, in a there's circumstances yeah. involved. Yeah, in an ideal world, it would be nice to go and have a talk to the instructor and say, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. And if they want to know why, it would be nice to have a professional conversation and tell them. But the message I've, I've kind of read between the lines through this email is that something bad happened. And once that happens, you know, if something really bad has happened, then professionalism kind of goes out the window. Yeah. And if the other person has kind of crossed a line, um, then it is completely within your right to just leave. You are a customer and you don't owe them anything, right? In fact, they owe you something. So I wouldn't feel too bad about it, right? It, it happens. We've all been there. I mean, unfortunately, jujitsu does have a, the community does tend to be dramatic at times. There's a, a lot of drama and frayed relationships. So yeah, it probably sucks that you'll bump into this guy again and it'll be awkward. But honestly, we've all done it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. I wouldn't lose too much sleep over it. Yeah. Nothing awkward about changing gyms. Like Steve said, it's basically just a gym membership. Um, if, if your instructor was good to you and didn't do anything wrong and you literally just left because you wanted to go to a better school, I would say you probably should have had a conversation with them. But if that, if that said instructor was, you know, maybe they did something really shady or a bunch of people left because he did something really immoral or unethical, then I, I feel like you could probably just up and leave. The bottom line is if you feel like you're going to run into this person, whether it be at seminars or open mats or, or tournaments, um, you know, there's, it is still going to be awkward if you don't have a conversation with them. So, uh, I find that it's better to probably have at least, at least a, a relationship within the community where you don't loathe each other when you're in the same gymnasium seeing each other. Uh, it's just gonna it's just gonna be less stressful on your life. But I wouldn't feel too bad. Like like we talked about, it's a gym membership, and uh, you know the whole honor loyalty thing is earned and not given through money. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. my opinion. I, I agree completely. I mean, I I would say that. It depends on the circumstance. If the instructor was always good to you and this was a situation where just the relationship was good, but you just were not comfortable having a difficult conversation, I would suggest following up with an email and just saying, hey, I'm sorry. I just, I, I knew this was going to be an awkward conversation and I, I wasn't really comfortable with it, but here, you know, I, I'm sorry that I left your gym, but hope it's not going to be an issue. If on the other hand, this guy did cross some major ethical line, I don't think you owe him him anything. No. Um, I mean, if, if nothing else, depending on how bad that ethical line was crossed, you might actually want to report the situation. Um, but of course, it's hard to say that for certain without knowing exactly what happened. But yeah. generally speaking, bear in mind that if there was something toxic going on in this gym um, and, some, and people were getting hurt or harassed or abused in some way, bear in mind if, if you left hey, that's good for you, but that problem is still happening. Um, it would not be out of the question to report that somewhere if something really bad or illegal were happening. I would not necessarily fault, you know, I would not fault you for doing that. That's something that I, I think is totally fine. But again, it totally depends on the con on the context and what actually happened here. Yeah, and the, and the letter does sound like some, something foul happened. So, you know, you're probably fine. But let's say nothing foul did happen and you literally just think that you would be better at, um, a higher level school, or maybe you like the other instructor better. You like the style works better for you. Um, it might actually serve as a good learning tool for the, 
for your, your instructor that you left to give them that feedback. Hey, I'm going to another school because of this reason. Mm-hmm. That's not an easy conversation to have, especially when it's, you know, if you've developed a, a relationship with this person or whatever, but it might actually help them in the long run to hear this constructive criticism. So, you know, it, it really does all come down to situation, but yeah. And, and, but but going, going back to the dark side of jujitsu episode, if something illegal was happening there and it's something where people were getting hurt, I would involve the police at that point. I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea for you to confront the instructor about it in that case. But if people are going to get hurt because of some sort of actions that happened there, I would definitely involve the police. But of course, again, it, it all comes down to the situation and what actually happened, right? So only the person who sent this question knows. Um, hopefully, this gives them some options and some idea about how to proceed. Also, if you're if you're a member at a gym and you notice that there's a mass exodus or there's several people that just happen to leave and maybe maybe you're not in the loop or you're just like a brand new person who doesn't really know what's going on, that should also be a red flag. And I would tend to learn more about it and then make a decision based on that because there could be some really horrible things going on behind the scenes. And because of who you are, you might be blind to all of it. So, um, you know, if you if, if you see things like mass exoduses from certain schools, that could be a red flag to definitely, you know, you don't want to be at risk for something or or be associated with something that's negative. That, that's a really, really good point. A lot of the time when you're junior or you're new to a gym, you don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes. And unfortunately, at a lot of gyms, bad things happen. And if you do notice that the culture has taken a major shift, maybe there's a massive exodus of the senior people. I would definitely reach out to one of them and ask what happened. I mean, they, they, who knows? They may or may not be willing to tell you, but for your own safety, probably good to know because you, like, as someone who's trained at a lot of gyms for a long time, you would be surprised at the cavalier attitude that some schools have towards like really, really toxic or illegal activity. So just make sure that you're in the loop about that kind of stuff so that you can keep yourself out of trouble and hopefully prevent other people from getting into trouble as well. Well, that was a great chat, actually. I hope you guys found it interesting, and uh, yeah, yeah, definitely hope you enjoyed it. Of, definitely a change of pace. Hope you guys found this kind of topic useful. Please do reach out to us and let us know if you want more like this, or if there's a different kind of topic or genre that you find more helpful. We always want to tweak this podcast so that you guys get the maximal benefit out of it. So don't be a stranger. I think that concludes it for today. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. All right, guys, take care.